Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. In our 10th week, you know, it says part 9 uh, of this series that we call Set Apart. Uh, I split part 8 in, uh, in half and did it over two weeks. Uh, so this is actually our, our 10th Sunday. Uh, we will not finish up the series until Easter Sunday. And that will be the, the last message on Easter Sunday. What we've been doing through the series with the thought of being set apart. Now that's a doctrinal thing uh, to where if you're a believer, if you know Christ as your Savior, God has forever set you apart to Himself. But it's also a practical thing. And we talk about how we can set ourselves more apart to God uh, through things like prayer, uh, through setting our, our heart uh, apart for uh, for the Lord, uh, through serving God and serving others. Uh, we looked at all kinds of aspects uh, as to how we can be set apart. Today is kind of really a specific Top message about being set apart. Uh, it is one that uh, some of us might wish we didn't have to deal with because it's going to meddle with us just a little bit, uh, I guess. But we're going to talk about living a set apart life before our neighbors. Living a set apart life before your neighbors. As I was preparing this series, uh, I came across a story about Abraham, really two stories about Abraham. The first part of it is in Genesis 20. Uh, and the second part of it we'll pick up in over Genesis 21. So I'm going to read a lot of Scripture today, but uh, there's not a lot of word studies or anything like that. It's kind of like me telling a story. But as I tell the story from Abraham's life, I do think there's some really important lessons that we need to learn and apply to our own lives. Uh, Abraham makes a mistake. You'll see that in Genesis 20. Uh, as he comes into this new land that he's kind of uh, moved into called Gerar, uh, inside the land of the Philistines. And he does something that he shouldn't have done when he gets in there. He tells a lie about Sarah being his sister. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, I think he did that one time before. He caused a lot of trouble one time before when he went uh, uh, into Egypt. So that's what happens. Uh, but even though he kind of comes across as not being a, the follower of God or the friend of God. That's what his name meant. Friend of God. Even though he doesn't seem to be acting much like a friend of God, we'll see some restoration take place uh, of who he was and how he had acted to, to where he transforms that. Uh, and, and, and now he's living the way he should. And taking steps in his life to preserve the relationship uh, with Abimelech, who have to be the king there that we'll also be talking about. Uh, so that's where we're going, and we're going to try and learn some important lessons uh, from, from this text. So our first point is this. If we're not careful, because we see this in Abraham's life, if we are not careful ourselves, we'll set ourselves apart as troublemakers. In, in other words, we will do some things we should not do before our neighbors, before lost people in the world, and we can cause more conflict, really, than we should have caused by making the wrong choices. That's what we'll see here in Abraham's life. So if you've got your Bible with you, join with me in Genesis chapter 20. If you don't, please follow along on the screen. I'm going to read all of Genesis 20, and then I'm going to pull out some, some, I think, important things there, and then we'll jump on over to Genesis 21 in in just a minute. Uh, Genesis 20, beginning verse 1. For there Abraham journeyed through the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. 
And he, and he journeyed into Gerar, uh, or Gerar rather. Uh, and, and Abraham said, uh, Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. Like I said, done that before. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sinned and took Sarah. They see, it's kind of a cultural thing in that day and time. It was like if you're king of the land and this uh, new really pretty woman shows up, then uh, uh, the king thought, well, you know, she's in my kingdom. I'm going to take her and make her part of my harem, my hair, so to speak, right around to my, my palace. Uh, so uh, that's what's going on here. Uh, so um, in Abimelech, the king of Barar sinned and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Now imagine, put yourself in Abimelech's shoes for a minute. And God shows up, he tells you this. Here's what God said to him Behold, you are a dead man. How'd you like to hear that from God? <laughs> Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman you have taken, for she is a man's wife. That's a very serious message. By the way, not just God saying that you're a dead man, but we live in a culture today that links in some kinds of sin. You see how serious God takes this type of sin when God points it out. And He said, because you've taken this, this man's life. Uh, and He goes on. And, and, and now Abimelech had not approached her, so he not been with her. So He said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did He not, talking about Abraham, did He not Himself say to me, she's my sister? And she, talking about Sarah, also herself said, He's my brother. In the integrity of my heart, in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you've done this in the integrity of your heart. Now God's not saying that, hey, it's okay. God's saying culturally, He knew that's why He, uh, he, he was doing this. Uh, he said, I know you've done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I... Who kept you from sinning against who? Was it something? Me. Me. Man, that's what he says ultimately against. Uh, against God. Uh, so then he goes on. He says, Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then return the man's wife, for he's a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much troubled. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, Notice this kind of public rebuking here of Abraham. So he called him and he said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. So in other words, the person that's supposed to be a friend of God, the person who had left a, a, a place of heathen worship to follow the God that he knew nothing about, but he believed by faith that this was God and he's following him. Now we have Abraham that we think of as this huge hero of the faith. Amen? And he was. But we have him doing something somebody should not have been done. And it's pointed out publicly to him. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister. And it's going to get a little bit complicated. Uh, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, she became my wife. So it's like Abraham is kind of trying to justify. Well, yeah, I lied to you. It's kind of like a little white lie. It is almost the way he's, he's framing it. But besides, uh, let's see, we think of it. And, and when God calls me to wonder... 
from my father's house. I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say to me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham. It's like he's making restitution, even though he didn't have to. Uh, and, and then it goes on. He returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah, he said, Behold, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone, you are vindicated. He said, Look, I, I'm just giving evidence that nothing happened that should not have happened between us. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife. And the female slaves, so that they bore children. So see, evidently there's some time that took place here in this text. For the Lord had closed all the wounds of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Now, if you, without any knowledge of who Abraham was, without having any biblical understanding of Abraham, if you were to hear that story, which one of these two people, Abraham or Abimelech, would you think seemed to be the follower of God or the friend of God? It sounds like Abimelech would have been, doesn't it? Even though he was heathen, even though he did not worship God and follow after, after God. Yet by his character, you know, if you're just looking at that, you say, well, hey, it must be Abimelech that's really a follower of God. Surely it's not Abraham the liar, you know, because that's the way we tend to process things. So, so let's break down this story. And, and as we do so, uh, you and I need to take some warnings from it ourselves. Uh, and maybe also some truths that can help us uh, as we unpack this story that we just read uh, here in Genesis 20. First one is this. Believers do sin. Does that come as a surprise to you? <laughs> Believers do sin. But that does not mean that God writes them off. I put a little phrase up there. That's not scripture. I just put the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's not a, I'm not talking about a clean Eastwood movie. I'm just saying, you know. But, but God does that. God even takes the, the sin of His followers. And, and God doesn't sweep it under the rug. I know this is Abraham, so I, I can't let anybody know what Abraham's done. I've got, I've got to sweep this under the rug and, and, and kind of protect the character of Abraham. God doesn't do that. And to be honest with you, that ought to be a comfort to us because I'm glad the character of God is such to a degree. Whether you say you're a follower of His or not, God brings sin out in the daylight. And God views it as what it is. God doesn't just wink at sin and pretend like, hey, it's, it's okay. Even though it was Abraham that was doing it. God doesn't just kind of ignore it. At the same time, God does not write Abraham off. And you see, there's a lesson we need to learn. Because I think sometimes if we're not careful, we get really legalistic when it comes to the life of others. And some other believer follows in some way. They make some kind of mistake. And also we're setting condemnation and judgment over them as though we never sin ourselves. And it's like we're willing to write them off because of something they've done. Hey, God did not write off Abraham. In fact, to give you a full picture of that, God told Abimelech, this man's a prophet. And, and, and you need to get his life back. So he, the liar, the one that just lied to you, so he can pray for you and you can be healed. You see, here, here's the point that I'm trying to make. Abraham was not saved by his performance. Abraham wasn't saved by the law because the law didn't even exist. 
He wasn't saved by being good. Even though we live in a world that kind of wants to conditionalize things and make it sound like, well, if you're good enough, you get to go to heaven. The problem with that is the Bible says there's no one good enough, not one. All of sin falls short of the glory of God. So Abraham was not saved because of his good behavior. Neither is God going to cast him away because of his bad behavior because God had made a covenant relationship with Abraham. And God always, always, always keeps his end of the deal. Look what the Bible tells us in Romans 4 about Abraham. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God, because you see he wasn't justified by works. Here's why, because here's what the Bible says. But what does the scripture say? Abraham did what? What does it say? Abraham believed God. He believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. God told him that I'm going to use you to bless all the nations of the world. God told him even in his old age that, that you're going to have a, a, a son. And you know, it looked like it's impossible because he's, he's getting ready to run in fast on 100. And, and Sarah's running in on 90 years old. They don't have a child yet. And God gives them this promise. It seemed like it was totally impossible and what happens is this. Abraham believed God instead of trusting in his own ability. He believed God and God counted that to him for righteousness. That's the same thing God does for us in Christ. We take God and his word concerning what he says about us as sinners. We take God and his word concerning what he says about Jesus being our Savior who died on the cross for all of our sins. And that by faith in Jesus, God enters into a covenant relationship with us. And God saves us not because of our works but because we took God and His Word. And, and God looks at us and he, and he makes us righteous. So you need to understand that to begin with. Believers, shock among all shocks. Believers do make mistakes. Believers do sin. Doesn't mean we ought to try to. Doesn't mean we ought to plan to or plot to. Doesn't mean we're to say, I'm under grace so I can live however I want to live. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we become dead in sin. You know, the Bible teaches we become a new creature, a new creation. Second thing I want you to see in this story in Genesis 20 is this. We must walk by faith and not by fear. We need to walk by faith and not by fear. And it appears to me there are times in Abraham's life, although he's this great hero of the faith, that sometimes he walked based upon fear. And, and here's why. We've got the evidence of when he went into Egypt, he lied about Sarah being his wife. And now we've got the evidence of when he goes into Gerar, he lies to Abimelech about, uh, about Sarah being not his wife, but his sister instead. So we see him doing this. What he's doing is, is he's trying to preserve his own skin. Now think about that for a minute. He, he's almost... It sounds like he's willing to sacrifice his relationship with his wife just to preserve his own skin to get what he wants. That's kind of a bad picture, isn't it? Him. But what he's doing is this. Because culturally, what would happen many times in that, in that day and time, if you were married, you come into this new kingdom, you start to move in there and live, and you got a really, really pretty wife, and the king thought, man, I'd like to have her, he would have you killed. So he's trying to protect himself. But see, he's, he's making his decisions based on the fear of his culture instead of walking by faith. He, here's why he should have walked by faith. What had God already told him? God had already told Abraham 
I'm going to bless all the nations of the world through you. God already told Abraham, by the way, Isaac's not been born at this point. God had already promised him a son. God had already promised him that he was going to raise up a, a mighty nation, you know, more than the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. God had promised him that. So here's the deal with that. If God had told Abraham that's going to happen, instead of Abraham fearing the culture around him and making his choices based upon the culture that he was living in, he should have made his choices based upon the promises of God. Because what God had promised him had not taken place yet. He says that had not taken place yet. What God had promised him made him invincible to whatever some other king might want to do to him. He should have walked by faith instead of walking by fear of his culture. And that's the lesson we need to learn. Regrettably, many times we make our choices in life because we're afraid. Oh, we won't fit into our culture. So I'll talk about this. If we take this really strong stand for Jesus, and we'll, instead of us walking by faith like we all to, we'll walk by fear. So that's the lesson we need to to learn from, from this story. Third one is, is, is this. We should fully repent of sin because failing to do so causes repeated problems in our lives. We should fully repent of sin because failing to do so causes repeated problems. Had, had Abraham and Sarah fully dealt with what happened in Egypt, they lied in Egypt. It caused major problems in Egypt. Had they fully repented of it. And that means this. That doesn't just mean, man, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry you found out I lied to you. What, what fully repenting means this. You recognize what you did was wrong. You recognize it's not God's will for you to have done that. And the best that you can, asking God to help you, you turn and walk away from that and don't let that be part of your life anymore. But that's not what Abraham and Sarah do because now they're in a new kingdom. Now they moved into Gerar. Guess what? He tells the same old lie and it causes problems again because he tells the same old lie and still having dealt with it. Guys, we're not angels, amen? amen? And if you'll be honest and think through your life, there have been times that you've allowed a recurrent sin to be there and you keep holding on to it and you keep thinking about it and it's there and it's there and it's there. And it's there. Here's the problem with that. Sooner or later it's going to get exposed. Sooner or later it's going to cause some major problems in your life. And that's why we need to learn the lesson from it the first time. Instead of allowing it to be a recurring issue, a recurring sin in our lives. We also need to recognize this. Small sins, small sins in the towers can lead to huge consequences. Can lead to huge consequences. Maybe Abraham and Sarah thought, well, it's just a little white lie. After all, she's kind of my sister. I mean, after all, we have the same dad, didn't have the same mom. So it's just a little white lie. But the truth of the matter is, a lie is a lie. And what they might have thought was just this little, simple, white lie could have had some possible huge consequences. Here's some practical consequences. Now, now it didn't happen because God's God and God's controlling this situation for a specific reason that I'll, I'll mention in a moment. But practically, here's what could have happened. Abraham could have lost his wife. I mean, he stands back and lets her be taken into Pharaoh's house, and they stand back and let her be taken into Abimelech's palace. He could have lost his wife. I told you a minute ago, Isaac's not been born yet. 
He could have lost Isaac. Practically, you know what he did lose? He lost his character. In a public way, because it winds up being addressed in a public way here in this moment. Spiritually, what, what's taking place in the story in spiritual terms, as we've already talked about, God had promised Abraham and made a covenant with him. Now that covenant is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's how God openly blesses all the kingdoms of the world. But God had made a promise and a covenant with him to bless all the world, which ultimately would happen through Christ. So spiritually, in spiritual terms, here's what's taking place in this story. The bloodline of Jesus, the chosen bloodline of the Messiah is at stake. And that's why God shows up in a dream before Abimelech can ever go into Sarah. And He tells him, hey, if you do this, you're a dead man. And He stops it right in its tracks before it can ever happen. Now what we need to apply that to our lives is this. We might have a lot of little sins that we don't think about, but they can have huge consequences in our lives. Who knows how many times God has protected us from the consequences of the little sins. There was not no one knew about it. And God, because He had a higher purpose and a higher plan, God shows up like He did in the Bimelech room that night in, in a dream. He said, hey, you're a dead man if you do this. Who knows how many times God has protected us from the poor choices that we make. Really probably the most important thing I want you to get out of this, maybe the next few things out of Genesis 20 would be the most important but this one definitely is really, really important in light of today's message. We need to realize, we must realize, as believers, our testimonies are harmed when we sin. We need to realize when we willfully commit sin, and it becomes public knowledge, because this here winds up becoming public knowledge. When we sin, our testimonies are harmed. Abimelech called Abraham said to him, Why in the world did you do this? What, what have you done to us? What, what did you see in us that made you think it's okay for you to treat us like this? Well, why did you treat me? Why did you treat us in a way that, that shouldn't be done? You shouldn't do like that. Especially you moving here in this area and you're the one that Following after this God? Why in the world did you do that? Why, why did you lie to me? Why did you bring this trouble upon us? Think about how embarrassing that must have been for Abraham when he's publicly rebuked. Not by another believer, but by someone that's a heathen king in a heathen land. And he's the one that's pointing out Abraham's sin. He's the one that's publicly here saying, at least you know, from before some of his servants, and I think some of the people in his, in his kingdom, he, he's publicly talking to, to Abraham, and he's saying, why in the world did you do this? Get the full picture. Abraham, the friend of God, that's following God, moves into this new area. <laughs> And the first thing that he does is tell a lie to the king of the land. And instantly by him telling a lie to the king of the land, 
instead of painting himself like he's a friend of God and a follower of God, he potentially harms the ability for God to use Abraham's life in that region with those neighbors around him in a way that maybe he could lead them and impact them to become followers of God. See, our lesson is this. We need to be careful how we live our lives before our neighbors, before the world. I mean, not just the people on either side of, of your house that you live in, people down the street. We need to be concerned about how we portray our lives, how we live our lives as, as, as people who say we're following Jesus by, by faith. We're followers of Christ. We need to be careful the choices we make and the way we live our lives. Yes, before our neighbors, but before people you work with, before people in the marketplace, for people in the public arena. Because when we blow it, when we make mistakes, and sometimes we will not even mean to, but when we blow it along with that, here's what happens. We negatively impact our testimony and maybe our ability to influence those people around us that are not believers to become believers because they can point at our lives and say, look at what you've done. You, you lied to us. Look, look at what you've, you've done. Abraham had been set apart to follow God. Abraham had been set apart to be used by God to bless all the nations. But Abraham fails to live a set-apart life before his neighbors and potentially have ruined an opportunity to lead his neighbors to being set-apart to God also. You and I need to live set-apart lives to where we can lead other people to be set-apart to Christ. And, and be aware that we can ruin the opportunity to do that by our choices. That's thing I want you to get in this part of the story, then we'll jump over to Genesis 21, is, is this. Even though lost people may display good integrity or good character at times, they're still lost without a relationship with God. In our culture today, they're still lost without a relationship with Jesus. Abimelech, even though in his mind he said, I, I just was doing right about all this. I was doing this out of the kingdom in my heart. I, I didn't know that she was married. <laughs> we, we can have people look at this story and, 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 and then see where Abraham had told this lie and Sarah had told the lie herself and even reinforced the lie. We live in a world today where people really strive. <laughs> To try and find things wrong in the lives of Christians. That's why we need to be sure we're not giving them the ammunition against Christianity. And at the same time, we live in a world that's kind of looking at things along these lines, along these conditions. Well, you know, that person's living a pretty good life. That person lives a moral life. I mean, that person lives a moral life. It's this other person that lives down the street in our neighborhood that goes to church all the time. And this person doesn't follow Jesus and they don't go to church, but they live a pretty good moral life. And, and people will build that up as though that means that when that person dies, God will wink at the other side. Well, yeah, you live a pretty good life coming to heaven. Problem is, that's not what the Bible says will happen. Go back to what I said a moment ago. There's no one good, no one good. We live in a culture that, that wants to, to exalt that. I think it might be a spiritual lesson here, maybe in what God said to, to Abimelech. But God came to Abimelech and breathed by night and said to him, Behold, you're a dead man. And then he went on and said, Because the woman that you take it in, she's a man's wife. 
The spiritual lesson I think is this. We go to Ephesians and we read this in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. And you were dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Then that's who we were before we knew Christ. And that implies this. Everyone that does not know Christ is dead in trespasses and sin. Whether they're living a good moral life or not, they are dead in trespasses and sin. Adam's sin took the whole human race down with him. And as good and moral as people like to imagine that they are, the Bible says if you blow one part of it, you're guilty of all the Ten Commandments. If unsaved people, here's the thought I want you to get. Don't, don't fall into the trap, number one, of, of thinking, well, that person living a pretty good moral life. That means that God will live into heaven. No, not unless they trust that Christ as their Savior. If the unsaved want to look at this story of Abraham and other stories and other situations, even in our day-to-day where believers make a mess of something, if they don't look at it and say, well, y'all are just a bunch of hypocrites. Here's the deal with that. If unsaved people accept the, what the Bible says about Abraham, that he lied, then they must also accept what the Bible says about them, that they are dead in trespasses and sin. You can't just choose the part of it that you want. Second main thought today as we, as we get into, into Genesis chapter 21 is this. As followers of Christ, we should set ourselves apart not as troublemakers, not as a troublemaker that we see Abraham in this story that we just looked at. Instead of setting ourselves apart as troublemakers, you and I as the followers of Christ, we ought to set ourselves apart as peacemakers. As peacemakers. And we'll see that in the story here that we're about to read. Abraham set himself apart as a troublemaker, but as we read this story, you'll understand it more. It appears to me he decided, I'm not going to keep living as a troublemaker. I'm not going to keep living in the arena of the, of the lie that I told before. Look at what's said in, in Genesis 21, from 22 to 34. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, uh, I think it's an important thing that the Holy Spirit chose to say it was not just Abimelech, but he brought the commander of his army along. Maybe they're trying to decide, man, Abraham's getting pretty strong. We might have to go to battle with him or something, you know? This happened, by the way, what I'm reading happened four years later after the story we just looked at for Abraham and Lot. four years later. And that time Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. I mean, man, evidently something's changed. Last time we were reading back in, in Genesis 20, it's Abraham the liar. But then he says, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me, hereby God, that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear when Abraham reproved Abimelech, so after he, he swears this, this, something else happens. There's another part of the story. When Abraham reproved Abimelech, there's something going on that Abraham didn't like, and he's, he's going to address it here with Abimelech. When Abraham reproved Abimelech, 
about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. Now the background too is this. That was Abraham's well. Abraham and his servants had dug the well. If you don't understand how important it is in that culture, you couldn't just go to the sink and turn the tap on. It was extremely important to your survival that you had water. So Abraham had gone to the trouble of having his servants dig this well. So he's kind of confronting Abimelech about it. And he said that, you know, your servants had seized this well. Abimelech said, I do not know who's done this thing. You did not tell me, and I've not heard of it till today. So Abraham took sheep. Now, once, now think about this. I'm going to unpack it more in a minute. It's Abraham's well, okay? It was his well. But even though it was his well, look what he does. Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two men made a covenant. They made an agreement with each other. Abraham also sent these seven new lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what's the meaning of these seven new lambs that you set apart? And he said, these seven new lambs you will take from my hand that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Now I'll unpack more of it, but think about it. It's his well. He didn't have to do this. But he does. Therefore, that place was called Bersheba because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Bersheba. Then Abimelech and Phacol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. And Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Bersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned, sojourned many Days. Man, that's weird, isn't it? That one I've in a text and, we, and, and we've got the, uh, the church planner from Sojourn Church that's going to be with us next week. I hadn't thought about that until now. <laughs> Sojourn many days in the land of the Philistines. Three many things I want you to see here. There's going to be some little sub points to put underneath. First of all, we should take steps of restoring our testimony before our neighbors when needed. We should take steps of restoring our testimony before our neighbors when needed. What had Abraham done? He had lied to Abimelech four years ago. But evidently, in these four years, some things had happened. And maybe Abimelech had been watching Abraham, and, you know, because after all, he lied to me. I better keep an eye on this guy. He's new, he's moved into the area. He's watching him, and he comes to this conclusion God's blessing you all that you do. So even though Abraham had been the liar, some things must have changed, some different water under the bridge now, to where Abimelech comes to this conclusion, hey, yeah, you lied to me, but now there's been four years taking place, and I'm seeing evidence that you really know this God that you're talking about, and God is really blessing you in everything that you do. By the way, here's a little hint of something that had taken place recently. Isaac has now been born. Now, that may not mean a lot to you unless you remember the whole story. Abraham's almost 100. Sarah's almost 90. 100-year-old and 90-year-old people don't have babies. Amen? I'm kind of glad of that. I'm 62. I don't want any more babies. I just finally have grandbabies. And again, I love all. I just boil and send them home to the parents. Let them deal with it. 
if you have a baby and it won't be a whole, and I'll I'll talk about how cute it is, and you know, do good God do with it, and things like that. But if it messes in this diaper, it's your baby. <laughs> so you know, I'm just sixty-two. Definitely, if I was almost a hundred, and and, and, and Becky was almost ninety, and, and you know, you got baby Trump. But the point I'm just not joking about something. But but the point I make is this. What happened was out of the norm. Can you imagine the gossip meal? How that cranked up? Man, have you heard about this 100-year-old man and this 90-year-old woman and they just had a baby? Can you imagine how that spread like wildfire? And, and, and then the word started getting out. God kept His promise. It was because God had promised them this would happen. So they've got abundant evidence that God is blessing Abraham. And even though he had been a liar, now he says that God's blessing you in all that you do. But he's still a little bit skeptical <laughs> of Abraham because Abimelech says, now I want you to swear that you're going to not deal false with me. You're going to treat me right. You're not going to revert to like you were before. Hey, you're starting to be a big, big people, big strong people. Oh, we're a little bit worried about you. Hey, I brought my general with me, you know. Uh, here, you need to see that. I got my general with me. And, and, and But Abraham swore to him. He said, I, I, I swear. The point I, I want you to get from this is simply that when you and I have heard our testimonies, it happens, doesn't it? Huh? Honest, it happens. Amen? I'll quit being self-righteous. Amen? When we've done something to hurt our testimonies, instead of us continuing to live in the realm of hurt testimony, we need to deal honestly with our sin. We need to admit that we sin. We need to admit to our problems. We need to ask for forgiveness of people that we've hurt. But then don't keep living back there where you run your testimony. You need to keep on following God. The enemy wants to keep you back here where you hurt your testimony. But what we need to do is make a decision that we're going to continue to follow the Lord. We need to take steps to restore our testimonies before our neighbors in a lost world instead of continuing to live in the arena of a ruined testimony. Second main thing I want you to get out of this passage that we just read in, in, in chapter 21 a minute ago is this. We should take steps of preserving, and you might have to write the word protecting down also. We ought to take steps of preserving our relationships with our neighbors. If something's happened, it shouldn't have happened. And if you've heard your testimony, if you've lied to him or whatever else, and, and you've heard your testimony in, in some public way before your neighbor, not only do you need to take steps to restore that testimony, but we need to take steps to preserving or protecting that relationship with our neighbors in the future. And what we see take place in the rest of the story is exactly that. Abraham takes steps. I believe he takes extreme steps to be sure that his character isn't challenged or his character is not looked down upon. After all, he was Abraham the liar four years ago. Now he's lived his life in such a way that Abimelech's noticing that God's blessing him. But I think he takes a specific steps to help preserve and protect the future relationship that he has with his neighbor Abimelech. And you and I need to learn some lessons from this. We need to take steps 
Not just to restore our relationship with our neighbors when we've blown it with them in some way, but we also need to take steps that can help us preserve or protect that relationship as we move on in the relationship in the future. I want you to notice a few things that we see in the story. The first one isn't fun, but sometimes it needs to happen. Needed confrontation can help preserve future relationships with others. I said needed confrontation. I'm not talking about you being the kind of person that just loves to stir things up. Hey, you just love to, to confront people about you know, what's going on in their life because privately you like to go away from them and think about, I told them what's what. I'm not talking about you confronting somebody and enjoying that you confronted them. I mean, you, you enjoy the, the, the process. What I am saying is this. Sometimes that confrontation is needed. The Bible said when Abraham reproved Abimelech, Abraham would have been alive. <laughs> now he's reproving Abimelech about this well of water that, that Abimelech's servants had seized. Once again, it's a serious thing. It was Abraham's well. He dug it in, in, in the water was important to their survival. So it was something that that there needed to be confrontation about. And that happens in our lives sometimes. Not that you are going to revel in it or enjoy it and brag about it later, but sometimes the best way you can help preserve a relationship with somebody else and with your neighbor or whatever is to have the right type of confrontation with it. Address the issue instead of hiding the issue and ignoring those things. I'll tell you guys, that's hard for me because by my nature, that's not who I am. And there have been times I have ignored something that's there and I should have addressed it. Second thing I want you to see is, is this. Confrontation, that needed confrontation can bring clarity to a situation and help preserve the relationship with the person that you confront. Look at what's said. After Abraham confronted Abimelech, Abimelech said, I do not know who's done this thing. Now, maybe Abimelech's lying, but if he is, the Bible didn't tell us that he told a lie. And it did tell us that Abraham told a lie, so I would think maybe he would point it out here too. Abimelech said, I do not know who's done this thing. You, talking to Abraham, he said, you did not tell me, and I've not heard of it until today. Now, what you need to read into that is this. The confrontation, even though it might not be fun when we have confrontation, sometimes it can bring clarity to a situation that wasn't there before. Abraham is human as we are. Amen? Amen. Don't think you, oh God, this is beautiful. It's that Abraham's human. Yes, he's human. Even Jesus was human. He's just a God-man. He's as much man as he is God. So Abraham's going to wrestle with the same emotions that we do. So imagine this. Abraham knows that Abimelech's servants has come taking his well. His well that he dug. His well that he needed to get water out of. Don't you imagine that Abraham being human, he's allowing that to seed in his heart just a little bit. And in his mind, man, why has Abimelech done this? Why is Abimelech coming after me? Why, why did he send his servants over here? Why did he let them take my well? And you can just imagine those thoughts turning around in his mind. But when he addresses the situation, clarity comes to the situation because Abimelech says, 
Abraham, I didn't do that. I, I don't know who did. I, you didn't say anything about it to me until today. I, I didn't know it was my servants. I had not heard anything about it until today. And so here's an important principle for us in relationships. Sometimes we think the other person knows what they've done to us. And they don't have a clue. But we think that they know. So we're letting it see, the see, the see, the crank around in our head, and crank around in our heart, when the best thing we could have done is go to them to start with and say, why have you done this? And then you might get some clarity and find out, hey, I didn't know you felt like that. I, I didn't know that you felt like I'd done this to you. And in doing things like that can preserve the relationship with your neighbors in the future. If you've done something to hurt your neighbor's feelings, or they've done something to hurt your feelings, and, and, and they don't know about it, it's if you're sitting around cranky and angry about your neighbor for years and years and years, what you should have done is talked to them about it to begin with. You might have found out they didn't even know. And that means you can feel better about the situation yourself. And you're trying to preserve the relationship as you move forward. Also establishing clear future relational guidelines can help preserve or protect relationships with others. If we'll establish some clear future relational guidelines, that, that can help us preserve relationships with others. I'm going to point out several things after I read it, but, but look at this story again. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Bimelech. And the two men made a covenant, and Abraham said, Seven new lambs of the flock apart. And Bimelech said, Why are you doing this? What does this mean? And Abraham said, These seven new lambs will, that you're going to take from my hand, are going to be a constant witness for you that, that this is my well, that I dug this well. And then they made a covenant with each other, and they called the place for sheep because they swore an oath, and they made a covenant together, made an agreement together there. I want you to see several steps there. That I think Abraham took to help preserve the future relationship. He, he had some relational guidelines that wound up being established to help preserve maybe the future relationship between he and Abimelech. By the way, I'm going to say this. It just kind of come to mind. I didn't say it in the first service. It didn't come to mind. Maybe I need to say it here for a reason. But I think sometimes we get the idea, well, that's a heathen person. I don't need to have a relationship with him. I just need to straighten them out. I don't need to hang out with them any. Yes, you do if you want to give them to Jesus. Don't just write them off. Don't just say, well, man, look how weak they live. Abraham didn't just fly off of Bimelech. He's doing things here to help preserve the future relationship and help preserve Abraham's own character. First of all, Abraham gives gifts to Abimelech. And here's the wisdom of that. And you see, in our flesh, we might think, well, that's stupid. It was Abraham's will. Abraham should have just chased them off. He said, that's my will. You shouldn't even be there. I'm going to fix you for doing that. But had he done that, he would open up the door for his character to have been doubted like he did four years earlier when he's Abraham the Bible. So he takes special steps, goes to the 10th degree to take away any possibility that his character could be misunderstood in this. So Abraham gives these gifts to Abimelech and takes away any question about who owns that well in the future. See the wisdom of that? Now, someone's not probably going to come steal your well at your house. 
But they may affect things in your life that you're upset about and, and, and things like that. What you need to do is, is this. Don't y'all get me started on the <laughs> They wish someone was still there well. We should have trouble with them. I saw the big reaction over there. <laughs> If you want to well, they can, I can tell you where to go and they'll let you have <laughs> But what you can do is this. is you try to fix a relationship with a neighbor where maybe you've messed up in, in the past, you can set some type of guideline where there's clarity in it to where whatever the issue is shouldn't be an issue in the future. Does that make sense? That's kind of what Abraham does here. The second thing is they made a covenant. Which probably means they sacrificed animals. Maybe even as part of those animals that Abraham just gave to Abimelech. And in that culture, that day and time, when they're making a covenant, they would sacrifice animals. They would lay the pieces apart. And as part of making a covenant, both parties would walk between the sacrifice. And in essence, what it meant culturally in that day and time is this. Both parties were saying, may God do this, what's happened to these animals. May God do this to me and more if I break my promise to you, if I break my covenant to you. So they made a covenant there. In other words, they, they were making an agreement about how they're going to treat each other in the future. We can do that with our neighbors. And we especially need to do it when we've failed to live a self-heart life as a Christian before our neighbors. Number three, Abraham gives seven lambs for Abimelech to keep and protect in his possession. As a reminder of the covenant that was made as a constant witness. Now you have to look in the background of this to understand what's taking place. Abimelech, based upon their culture that day and time, Abimelech could not have said, well, thank you for the seven lambs. I'm going to take them home. I'm going to eat them. He couldn't sell them to somebody else or anything else because of this covenant agreement that they've made. Here's what he had to do. Abimelech had to protect those seven lambs he had to watch those seven lambs grow up. He had to care for those seven lambs, feed those seven lambs, and all the time those seven lambs were a constant witness to Abimelech that that well belonged to Abraham and that he had made an agreement of cut with Abraham. In essence, you have a picture here of something being done as a witness to where it would fix the relationship in the future. The, the word for swear... In the, in the Hebrew uh, actually means to swear seven times or to bind by seven things. By the way, seven is the biblical number of, of perfection. So just maybe we also had this taking place, taking the message a different direction just for a minute. Maybe we also had this taking place. There's a foreshadowing here of God making His covenant with us through His perfect Lamb, Jesus Christ. But in a practical way, what we see take place is Abraham's taking steps to preserve and protect the relationship with his neighbor in the future. Fourth thing is the place was named for Sheba, the well of an oath. Because Abraham and his neighbor of Emelite made an oath and agreement that would guide their future relationships. Here's what I'm telling him to do. I don't know all your stories. You don't know all my story. But I'm telling us this, if we have done something before our neighbors that has heard our testimony, the way we don't look like we're living a self-heart life for Jesus, we need to take steps to reclaim that. We need to take steps to restore what our testimony is. And we need to take steps that can guard against anything like that ever happening in the future again. 
Oh, it won't be fun to talk about it because you've done let yourself be told by the devil. You hate that person. It's okay to hate them because of what they've done to you. Or you allow the devil to tell you, uh, hey, you're too embarrassed because of what you've done, how you've blown it before them to go talk to them. But what you need to do is take steps like we see Abraham taking here to restore our testimony and to protect our testimony as we move forward in the future. Last thing I want you to say is that there's some good results. There's some good results that can take place. The good results of restoring your testimony and taking steps to preserve your relationships with your neighbors. There's some good results that take place here. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander's army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tree as a witness there for Sheba. And he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. I want you to notice three things, but I think there are three very important things in those verses. Three good results. The first result is peace. Peace. Abimelech, and who was with him? His military commander. I tell you, I think the Holy Spirit put it there for a reason. They're checking out Abraham whether they're going to go to battle with him. Go to war with him. But instead of going to war with his neighbor, Abraham, instead what happens is that Abimelech and his military commander are satisfied with the situation and they go home. And there's peace that takes place. You and I can have peace with our neighbors no matter what's happened if we'll take the right steps. And in with that, we can have peace in our hearts instead of having this ongoing gnawing in our spirit because of what's happened with somebody that we live close to, work close to, whatever the case might be. The next positive thing that happened was this. Abraham planted his tree as a witness of what God had done. And if he worshipped the everlasting God. Now, now here's the importance of that. Abraham didn't go on thinking after he had this confrontation, this meeting with Abimelech. He didn't go on thinking to himself and think, man, I'm smart. I, man, I, I've got a lot of ingenuity. Oh yes, I lied to him in the past, but now all that's being restored and everything. And man, I've laid down uh, footwork and, 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 and grounds and guidelines for how I'm going to preserve our relationship in the future. Man, I just need to be happy and tickled in who I am. Look what I've done. That's not what he did. Because you see, it wasn't Abraham. It was God in Abraham and through Abraham that restored the relationship and helped Abraham rebuild his testimony. So what Abraham does is plant this tree and he worships the everlasting God. I want to admit to you, that's what we ought to do also. If God helps you restore your testimony where it's fallen in some way, if God helps you rebuild relationships with people around you that you need to build relationships with, I'm telling you, it's time to plant something and watch something grow to the glory of God. It is time for you to worship the everlasting God. Because here's the truth about things. Covenants will pass away sometimes. Your relationships, the best you can try to maintain them, sometimes they're going to fall through 
Lambs that you've given away as a sign and a witness of the covenant. Things are going to grow up and they're going to die. They're going to disappear sometime. You can't trust that all those things always being there. But hey, the everlasting God is always there. He's always present. He's the one we're to worship. He's the one we're to look to. How grand it is that no matter what we're going through in our lives, whether we've blown our testimony or whether we're having to rebuild things with our neighbors, how grand it is to know no matter what's taking place, you and I can worship the everlasting God. And He's always there. Amen. Third thing out of this story is this. Evidently, with a restored testimony, now Abraham, who was the troublemaker, is now set apart as the peacemaker. And he lives many days in the land of the Philistines. We might just read over that and let that just go over our heads. Here's what I read into that as I pray over. Abraham has restored his testimony. Abraham has taken steps to preserve his future relationship with Abimelech's neighbor. And now. Instead of him having to live in guilt and shame or just move away, now Abraham lives many days in the lands of the Philistines. That's all we're told. But in with that, you've got Abraham with a restored testimony. And with that, you've got Abraham that's rebuilt a relationship with his neighbor. Who knows how Abraham had the chance to not be a troublemaker, but now he has the chance to be a peacemaker and point other people to the God that he's following for many days in the land of the Philistines. Does that make sense to you? He has the opportunity to be the witness that he should have been. Peace takes place. Worship takes place as a good result and restoration took place in this story. There are a lot of lessons we can learn here from this story. I cannot begin to communicate to you, and I don't know why necessarily, but I can't begin to communicate to you when I first found this story. Uh, I actually thought, hey, I'm going to kick off the series about being set apart with this. And then, and then God changed my mind. I moved it to a different Sunday. And then God changed my mind. And I moved it to a different Sunday. And then God even changed when it was going to take place by leading me to divide a message in half. So I don't know why this message wound up today. But if you, since you're here and you're listening to it, you need to wonder why yourself this message wound up today. I can't tell you how important I felt like this message was when I found it. Because you and I, if we're not careful, we will blow the opportunity to lead our neighbors and our friends and our family members and our co-workers to Jesus. If we're not careful, we'll ruin our testimony to where it's very difficult for people to view us in the way they ought to. And probably all of us have done that at one time or another. So what we need to do is rebuild that testimony. We need to quit being a troublemaker and we need to be a peacemaker. And ask God to help us restore our testimony. To help us restore and preserve our relationship with others. But another really important lesson is this. 
right now before we have what we refer to as an invitation to church. I want to ask you this question. Have you trusted in the covenant? We've talked about two men making a covenant. Have you trusted in the covenant that God has made with mankind by putting His Son Jesus on the cross? I told you those seven lambs give a picture of perfection. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice that God put on the cross pay the full penalty for our sins so that through faith in Him you and I can be forgiven. We don't have to stay in the arena of our past. We can trust in Jesus and we can be forgiven and have our lives restored before God. So the question is, have you trusted in the eternal covenant that God has made with mankind through putting His Son on the cross? And if you've not done so, you need to do that today. That's your only hope. That's your only chance. And those of us that have done that during this invitation time, just maybe you need to ask yourself, allow the Holy Spirit to ask yourself this question. Have I been being a troublemaker? Have I just been being a troublemaker and blowing my chance to win people to Jesus? Have I been having the wrong attitude? Have I been being a troublemaker at work and in my community with my neighbor? Right beside of me, if I've been being a troublemaker. See, we ought to be concerned about those things. One of my neighbors, Chris Martino, are here. I lived beside them for a few years before they were starting coming. They really, I think, got engaged in Starkwood because of the mission trip to Guatemala. But I used to worry about things like that. You know, we lived pretty close to him. Where how loud they've heard me yell at kids. You know, and, and, and it's, you know, stuff like that, you know. But we need to be concerned about this thing because you and I do not need to blow the opportunity to impact the lives of others for Jesus. So here's someone, and God's brought to memory today how you've done that, how you maybe have, have heard your testimony before somebody else. Don't keep living in the arena of that hurt testimony. Change it. Change it. The devil wants you to keep feeling guilty. Oh, you messed up so much, you might as well just stay messed up. Change it. It won't be easy, it won't be fun. But go to that neighbor, whoever it is, family member, whoever it is, and be honest and say, hey, you know what? I messed up. I lied. I did this. I I messed up. I'm sorry. And then take steps to preserve the relationship as you move forward in the future. Maybe God's put a situation on your heart as a believer. Maybe God has given the name of someone to you already in this message and, and, and you're saying, you know what? I've been feeling bitter about them and maybe they don't even know that I feel like they've done something to me or it might be the, the opposite. Maybe you know you've done something to them. And as a Christian, you need to restore that relationship. You need to be honest with them. And guys, what I'm talking about this morning. This wasn't a, a message with this story about Abraham with just some neat concepts and guidelines in it. Don't listen to this and say, oh yeah, all that's true. No leave from here and go fix it. Go, go fix it with whoever it is. Go fix it so you can have a testimony you need to have. Go, go fix it and take steps to preserve the relationship as you move forward. Father, we thank you for this story about Abraham. We thank you that God
God, you do show us the good, bad, and the ugly. Lord, we thank you that, that your character is impeccable, that, that you hold forth in the daylight even, even the sin of your people. But Father, we thank you also that we can learn from this story that you don't write us off. You, you, you don't do away with our usefulness forever. That because of your grace and restoration that can take place in our lives, you can use us in, in mighty ways as you did Abraham. Father, help us right now to listen to your Spirit, identify in our hearts and our minds steps we need to take in our own lives that we might live a set-apart life before our neighbors. And Father, if there's somebody here this morning that's trying to come up with all kinds of excuses why they shouldn't say yes to Jesus. God, maybe someone's here and they're trying to say, well, I, I can't hold out. I, I can't be good enough. Help them just to understand that's true. They can't be. Help them to understand you always keep your promises. You always keep your covenant. And if they'll come to, to, to you through Christ, you'll always keep that salvation preserved for all eternity. And then Father, step by step, help change our lives to live more for your glory. Verse in Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.